What's up, everybody? Radio Matt here from the Two Words Podcast with a little bit of bad news for you. So I know two weeks ago we had some technical difficulties. The show had to cancel. This week we also couldn't record because of a conference that John had to go to that we just weren't able to schedule around. So that's a whole month without new shows just as the season was getting started. Super, super sorry for that. So in an effort to kind of make up for it, we're bringing you our our first ever clip show. (laughs) So one of the things that we love to do at the end of seasons is take a career retrospective of some of our favorite wrestlers. And uh, so far we've got four amazing career retrospectives from Attitude Era wrestlers that have left an indelible mark on the industry. And we're going to go through those again today. And so we're going to share with you the retrospectives on The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So relive these with us, and uh, we should see you again in two weeks for a brand new show, and then two weeks after that for our go-home show before WrestleMania that we are super excited for. Enjoy these blasts from the past. And welcome back to the Two Words Podcast, where we're talking today all about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, So we've made it kind of, uh, I, I guess... Now makes it a tradition. Technically, that yeah. the end of every uh, the end of every season because this is our last episode until uh, January or whenever I'm told to come back. <laughs> February, I think first week of February. February, first or second week of February. Um, uh, and so we're we're talking about our favorite wrestlers. We dedicate <clears throat> an entire episode. Uh, last time we did the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man. And today we are talking about Stone Cold because, to be completely honest, if you were a young boy in the 90s, whether you watched wrestling or not, Stone Cold Steve Austin was the coolest human alive. Yeah, he tr- he transcended wrestling, yeah. for sure. Uh, he was everywhere. He was all over the place when he got super popular. So, so I guess the question is, <clears throat> what made Stone Cold better than everybody else? I mean, what, what made him transcendent? Um... I think the main thing that he had going for him was that he wasn't a fake wrestling persona. Um, even at the beginning of that A&E documentary that he did, the biography, uh, the first question they asked him is, what's the difference between Stone Cold Steve Austin and real Steve Austin? Or Steve Williams, I guess is technically his name. Uh, did he no. change it? He legally, <laughs> he legally changed, changed his name it. I from thought so, Steve yeah. Anderson. <clears throat> Um, I believe it was Anderson. It was Williams. I know that much. Um, but he said, well, well, I don't even know what the difference is, really. 
And that's all he said. <laughs> just a, I think he said it was just an amplified, it's just an amplified, amplified version. version of him. There's not really a difference. An amplified version of him. <laughs> I think what what draws most people to to watch Stone Cold is that like everybody wanted to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Like everybody wanted to flip their middle finger to their boss in the nineties. <laughs> everybody wanted to fill their boss's car with concrete. Everybody wanted a beer truck. Like that was everyone wants to drive a Zamboni. It, that was just that was just who it was, and he was saying all of the things that we wish we could have said to our bosses. Um, but then he would get in the ring and he would put on these really really great matches. He's very uh, physically capable. Um, always has been really. Like he started off in middle school in football. Yeah, uh, to a two hundred and five pound running back. It's a meaty boy. (laughs) Big running back. Uh, He said he was too slow to run to the left or the right, so he could only run right down the middle. But that was all right, because he could just plow through everybody. (laughs) But he would focus on staying fit, living responsibly. He wasn't a party guy drinking or whatever when he Mm. was a a teenager. He wasn't raising all kinds of heck back then. He was the guy that was yelling at his... uh, Older brother and his friends to shut up so he could go to sleep because he's got, <laughs> got football practice got in, the in the morning. Man. <laughs> yeah, um, and if you if you really think about it, it's something I didn't realize, I was watching some some stuff on the YouTube's. Uh, his first WWE championship was won at WrestleMania 14. His last match was at WrestleMania 19. Yeah, it was a very was a short five run. year. I mean, he had other stuff before all of that, but it was a relatively short run. Relatively short, like spotlight when it, when you consider yeah. like Roman Reigns. How long has Roman Reigns been near the top of the of the Forever. chart here? It feels like over a decade, and I'm pretty sure it's Forever. close to that. Yeah, really, Stone Cold's run is very short. I remember going back and watching through some of the Raws when uh, WWE Network came out and you know i'm watching the the rise right at a start at wrestlemania 14 and i continue on from there and i get like you know a week or two into it you know and i'm like well we're already at this part yeah this is going really fast (laughs) and it took i mean it was like not it was like you know less than 100 raws and you're done with the storyline yeah i'm like that's sad I mean, but, I want so much more. Yeah, but like the ability to compact that much mm-hmm. and make it because it feels like he was on top for twenty years. Oh yeah, he he, he made such a big impression in the industry, and I think that tied in with the fact that the Attitude Era was also being kicked off as he was rising to prominence, and so he became the Attitude of the Attitude Era. Now DC yeah. DC DC Talk <laughs> DX had <laughs> you know its portion of that as well, and then The Rock, of course, would come along. But really, what kicked it off was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, he uh, and he had that from he developed that character rather from a ECW, yeah, which he really didn't do much in. <laughs> he, he did he did not wrestle he a did, single match in ECW. Wrestle. He did what was essentially the first pipe bomb situation. Yeah. Like he would come on ECW after he got fired by Eric Bischoff uh, and just rant. And Paul Heyman just said, "Yeah, say whatever you want, go nuts." And that's exactly what he did. And he developed this kind of 
anti-authority, <clears throat> pardon me, working man fighting back against the boss kind of mentality. Yeah. And uh, that's what brought, well, JR recruited him into WCW. <laughs> and then after that, he had moved to WWE and then saw what was going on in ECW with yeah. uh, Steve Austin and brought him over as well. They always ask <clears throat> um, Eric Bischoff like if he regrets firing Steve and he's like, Steve wouldn't have become who he was if he'd have stayed in WCW. Oh, like absolutely! It just, it just wouldn't happen because he was he was doing the Hollywood Blondes Hollywood back Blondes. then. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the funniest videos you can see from the Hollywood Blondes is they uh, they announce him from Hollywood, Florida, or Hollywood, California. It's one of the two. Um, no, I don't think that happened with that. That happened with uh, with Ringmaster. Or no, 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 no. no. Stunning Steve Austin. Stunning it was Steve before Austin. he was. So yeah, I guess they did. But that, that happened that, before that, that before the Hollywood Blonde started. And like, they that said was he his was from thing. like Hollywood, California, and he turned around and yelled at somebody. He's like, "I'm from Texas. <laughs> what am I gonna do with my accent? <laughs> Can't tell people I'm from California." I really think it's funny though that he came out of Stunning Steve Austin. You think you think of you know who he became and who he is known as, and you think about him with long bleach blonde hair in a red robe, robe with sequins all over it. Yeah. <laughs> And it just doesn't sound right. It but he made fit. that work too. He really I mean, did. Yeah, he was he was good in every aspect. But he just he, it wasn't a draw. Yeah, like he was good as a wrestler of that era. But that era was coming to an end, uh, and most people were still fighting that in the industry. the The idea of like the superhero, the pretty boy, all that in the wrestling industry was coming to a close. And WCW did see that happening. And I think honestly, they thought that. Steve Austin wouldn't be able to pull that off the mm -hmm. transition to the new era. Yeah. I think that's one of the facts. I mean, he's stunning Steve Austin. He wears sequin robes to, you know, he's in the Hollywood blondes. He's, he's not going to, he's I mean, a Ric Flair ripoff. Yeah. It's he's He's a, he's a beefier Ric Flair. <laughs> that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly with NWO coming in and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, I also love the fact that his, his big, um, push, was a, a a fluke. Yeah. Because he he got his big push because he won King of the Ring. Which he was not supposed to which win. Which he was not supposed to win. And the only reason he won it is because they had to punish Triple H. And he was going to be the original winner. Yeah. But Triple H and HBK had just taken part of the curtain call, which was that um, breaking, breaking, yeah. breaking the uh, the. Kayfabe. Kayfabe. Bobby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to uh, basically give a big old group hug to their, their click members, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, who were leaving to go to WCW. Uh, and a fan happened to catch it on camera. And, and if you've been in the wrestling industry long enough, you've seen that footage of them all hugging in the ring. Well, someone had to get punished for that. And they couldn't punish Nash and Hall because they were gone. They weren't going to punish uh, HBK because he was, you know, championship he was, uh, arena. Uh, he was, was he injured. the champion? He was he was leaving because he was about to be. He was being in, he had injured himself. Oh, that's right. Okay, so he, he was, was leaving. Yeah, so he wasn't. So they had to they punished Triple H. The exact <laughs> words were: "I think you're going to have to learn to eat crap and learn to like it." <laughs> and so, yeah. So Stone Cold uh, goes with this, and there's there's two matches that he has to do in the paper because that's how they would end King of the Ring. They would have the the finals. Or the the quarterfinal or the semi whatever what's the next level <laughs> before the championship 
Uh, yes, yeah, the semifinals. Semifinals and then the finals, and right? The finals. Okay, so they had the two semifinal matches and then the final match on that pay per view. So it would usually start off with the two semifinals. And so he's in a match with, um, uh, let's see, who was he fighting? He was in a match, Mark Merrow. He was in a match with Mark Merrow, and uh, Mark Merrow accidentally kicked him in the mouth in that match and busted his lip open. And so he had to be rushed to the hospital. They put 14 stitches in his mouth and he made it back just in time to go and wrestle his, uh, his championship match or not championship match, but finals match for King of the ring, uh, <laughs> against Jake, the snake Roberts, who was doing a whole Bible thumping, yeah. uh, gimmick. Uh, the doctors told him, no, you can't wrestle, but he's like, well, I'm gonna, and he did. <laughs> and he went out You're there and, um, uh, Michael Hayes, uh, you know, came up to him as he was heading out to the ring. He said, what did, you know, what's, catch me up to speed kind of thing. And Michael said, yeah, Jake the Snake just did a promo. And, he, you know, he was talking about, you know, how God brought him here and, you know, and the, whole, the whole religious spiel and everything. And uh, so they go out and they have the match, Stone Cold wins. And that's when he just on the fly came up with the, uh, Austin 316, you talk about your Psalms, you talk about your John 316. Austin 316 says, I just whooped your butt. Uh, and then he ended that promo with, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Two things that he'd never said before yeah. at his big push win. Three things combined right there sent him to the stratosphere. To the top. All because... Triple H had to hug Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. <laughs> it's the most expensive hug you've ever given. <laughs> but had that not happened, had the had the uh, the curtain call incident not happened, Stone Cold might not have ever made it up there because Vince McMahon was not all that thrilled with Steve Austin. Yeah, he brought him in as the ringmaster. Uh, uh, Stone Cold needed money, so he didn't fight <laughs> that yeah. title. He's like, all right, I'm the ringmaster, whatever, I'll make it work. Okay. Master of the ring. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, they, I mean, they didn't, pu they didn't push him all that well. It, nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing stuck. Nothing was making anything good. So he said, let me change my name. And he had been watching um, the Iceman tapes yeah. on TV. And uh, he said, I want something, you know, something ice-related. Ice. And so he, he sent that to creative, and they gave him uh, three pages of possible names, uh, some of which were Victor Fang McFrost, Fang McFrost, Snowman, Otto Von Ruthless, Mr. Freeze, Ice Dagger, Cruel Luke, Cool Cat, and Chili McFreeze. <laughs> and as uh, Mick Foley said, like, if, even if you had everything else that, that went right for Stone Cold, if his name is Chili McFreeze... <laughs> Nothing. We're not talking about the same guy. <laughs> yeah. I love I love Michael Hayes' reaction to that whole promo because the entire time he's looking around like, are we about to get shut down? <laughs> he's looking around like, is he really saying these things? <laughs> you know, and I will, I will, I mean, I'm thinking back as hard as I can. And I don't really recall there ever really being all that much backlash from the religious community about the Austin 316 thing. No. In fact, he even talks about at one point he's in a um, he was in an airport and like a uh, like a whole group of priests came up to him 
and asked him for his autograph. And he said, oh, I thought y'all were coming over here to yell at me over the Austin 316 thing. He said, oh, no, we love it. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Um, but you know, you really think, like, you talk about none of that would have happened had they had they not had the famous curtain call. And, like, but if you don't have that moment, you don't have any of the Attitude Era. Uh, almost certainly, You don't yeah. really have DX. You don't have... Any of this other stuff, and WCW wins the Monday Night Wars. Almost certainly, because I bet they would have pushed Triple H. Uh, apart from Hurst Helmsley, yeah, apart from Shawn Michaels, yeah. as opposed to what wound up happening. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it all falls apart without that curtain. They really should be thanking them <laughs> for the curtain call really, incident. Really should be. <clears throat> Uh, um, well, some some stone cold facts. Let's do it. Some okay, stone cold facts. Um, uh, originally born Steve Anderson, he did change his name uh, legally it's to Anderson. It's Steve Williams. I'm pretty sure it's Anderson because he goes to his first match in Memphis and he introduces himself as Steve Williams. And I said, "Well, you can't be Steve Williams because we already have a Steve Williams, Doctor Death. So you got 15 minutes to come up with a new name." And he couldn't come up with anything, so the promoter said, "All right, you're Steve Austin because he was from Austin." Stephen James Anderson. That's so weird. Yeah. Well, why wasn't that in his biography? <laughs> I don't know. Um, originally born Stephen Stephen James Anderson, changed it to uh, Stone Cold St- Steve Austin, legally changed it to Steve Austin, um, went by many monikers, but my favorite is the Bionic Redneck, because the name of the $6 million man was Steve Austin. Um, and kids, you can ask your parents about that show, uh, and just go. Oh, okay, and hold sh- on, hold on. Okay, hold on. We're both kind of right. He was born Stephen James Anderson, but it appears that maybe he was adopted by a stepfather. Oh, and it was changed to Stephen James Williams. Okay, so we can both be right. <laughs> I was going to be very confused. I was so upset. <laughs> Um, like I did my research, dang it. <clears throat> when he when he broke into the wrestling business, uh Dutch Mantel was running the scene down there and uh Steve wasn't very good. He wasn't very compelling in the ring and so Not compelling. Uh, Dutch Mantel made Athletic. him made him sit in a chair and watch every single match uh, for a very very long time. Dutch Mantel, uh, who later became Zeb Coulter, the uh, racist manager for Jack Swagger. <laughs> so it all comes full circle. Um, I got one. Uh, his first introduction into wrestling. Like his first attempt was Gentleman Chris Adams three day camp at the world famous Sportatorium, Ooh. at which Mick Foley was also in attendance, Ooh. Uh, and he was a you know he he was active in this arena, and so him and a bunch of the other wrestlers were up watching from the crow's nest at everybody at the wrestling camp, and uh, he believed that Steve was the only one that looked like he had what it took. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, Crossing interesting. paths. Uh, stone cold fact about the sportatorium uh, it is the world famous sportatorium that had like 4,000 seats it was a very very small arena Mm. for being such a legendary place Um, I did not know that and it's no longer it's no longer a thing anymore um uh, came up playing football was originally uh, a football player as we mentioned um 
he is a, while he is billed from Victoria, Texas, he was originally from Edna, Texas. Which I don't know why they would change either one of those because they're both small, no-name towns. Um, uh, he earned a scholarship to Wharton Junior College, uh, played for two years there, and then got a full scholarship to the University of North Texas, where I think he played like a season. Yeah, yeah, with the Mean Green. <laughs> Uh, let's see. He was wrestling in WCW as Hollywood Blondes in Japan. He tore his his tricep, but he kept wrestling for three more weeks, and then he had to have surgery. He was off for a long time, and that's actually when Eric Bischoff called him and fired him. That's fun. So that's fun. That's, that's always fun. the time you want to get fired, right? When you're healing from the injury that you sustained, giving your your part of your giving life to the company that you were <laughs> and they just fired you for. And then they go under, but joke's on him because they went under. So, <laughs> no, give me, those give guys me some more facts. I don't, really have, I don't really have any more facts. <laughs> you have any more facts? All right, let's go. Uh, let's see. Oh, we talked about a lot of that already. Yeah, we talked about our, all, all this stuff. So let's see. The the Stone Cold monitor, moniker came from uh, his, his wife had made oh, him some right. soup as he was sitting in a chair. Tea. Tea. Was it tea? It was tea. Yeah, anyway, uh, tea it was a hot. It was cold. a hot liquid. She said, "You need to drink your tea, or it'll become stone cold." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "What? What?" And she's like, "It'll be stone cold." And he's like, "I like that." Uh, okay, match with Owen Hart for the Intercontinental Title. Owen did a tombstone pile driver with Steve's head six inches too low. Steve was paralyzed briefly in the ring. He told ref Earl Hebner to tell Owen to roll up for the Owen to roll up for the win. Uh, it was the worst roll up in the history of the business, described by Steve Austin. Uh, he won the title. He got up and walked out with the help of other people on legs he could not feel. Uh, and he didn't actually injure his neck. Like people think that he broke his neck or something, but he he just bruised his spine. Just he bruised his spinal cord. And uh, even to this day, if it's cold or something, he'll have like, he'll not be able to move his leg uh, correctly. And that also translated into how the rest of his career went, because this was before he became the big, you know, anti-boss guy before he was doing the stunner all that much. And so (laughs) Vince McMahon recalled the leg that he used to kick before he reached in for the stunner was the leg that he couldn't always feel all the way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't always tell if he was kicking high enough because he's supposed to kick you in the gut. But occasionally, he'd kick you a little lower. <laughs> and uh, he would always apologize, and I'd tell him, you know, hey, you know what? it makes it easier to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Just get kicked in the nuts. <laughs> like, okay, I can feel this pain. Just, <clears throat> you know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> you do what you got to do. But yeah, he bruised his spinal cord, uh, and they said if it had been any harder, that he might be a paraplegic for the rest of his life. So, like, he he narrowly avoided. That's fun. That's fun. Well, you know, there are just so many wrestlers that really have Steve Austin to thank. Um, guys like Tommaso Ciampa. Guys like Kevin Owens. I mean, Kevin, where would Kevin Owens be without Stone Cold Steve Austin? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be doing that springboard stunner that he, that he loves so very much, which is a great variation on the stunner. Yes. Uh, but he did. He is quoted as saying, Steve's legacy makes it hard for us to become superstars. It doesn't matter how good we get, there will always be someone who says, pretty good. Not stone cold, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, he does admit, uh, as he got on in the business, that he 
his focus was so so much on the wrestling business that he became selfish and focused only on himself, which put everything else in the back burner. So he got a divorce, of course. He had a few of those, actually. Um, he never really had a relationship with his two daughters. His ex-wife and daughters went to visit extended family in London, and then 9-11 happened while they were there. And so everyone was afraid to get on a plane, and so they just kind of stayed there. And, uh, like, he... he uh, he had a really this this was you could see it on the television as well. Things were just starting to shift in his life, uh, and he became so focused on it, like uh, anybody does. You know, when they, they it became an addiction essentially for him, that it wasn't fun anymore. He was yeah. angry, bitter, paranoid, untrusting. He bottled stuff up. He was afraid that he'd lose his spot if he took a break. Um, and. After his big feud with The Rock, The Rock went off to Hollywood for his first round of Hollywood business, and there was nobody like at his level anymore. He was like above the top tier. Like there was yeah. nobody who could get to that like god tier level. Yeah. And so they had nothing for him to do, and they basically called him up and said, "Hey, you're going to fight Brock Lesnar and lose." There was no build up to the match. It was going to be essentially a job match. Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to job to Brock Lesnar. And so he said, I'm not going to do it. And he left. And that was the infamous Steve took his ball and went home promo that Vince cut the next night. Yeah. And uh, so he was gone for a while, came back, uh, had a very short run. Um, and then WrestleMania 19 was his last match. And that's when they, and he didn't tell anybody that it was his last match except for Vince and his opponent, which was The Rock. And this was the third WrestleMania match between Stone Cold and The Rock. Stone Cold had won the first two. He wanted The Rock to win this. Uh, and so they had a fantastic match. And uh, while, Vi while uh, Stone Cold is lying on the mat after the match is over, The Rock bends down and tells him that he loves him. And Stone Cold laughs and said, I love you too. Two of the biggest, manliest wrestlers <laughs> saying, I love you. I love you. <laughs> Um, but I mean, he's, he's talked about how he, he left the business and he, he moped for a long time, uh, moped for, for, for a couple of years, I think three years about it. And then decided, you know what? I better capitalize on this brand before, uh, people forget who I am. Went to Hollywood, did a couple B movies. Not all that great. Uh, there was, there was one where he, um, he played a janitor that taught a kid to box. <laughs> I remember I remember starting to watch this film. <laughs> Did a few uh, TV show spots as well. But then he found his niche with uh, niche, whatever, with hosting. So he hosts like reality competition shows and podcasts and he says he loves it. It keeps oh, him keeps him perfect. in the business. He doesn't have the itch to go back and wrestle anymore. So sorry, you're not going to see him in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't matter how much they're going to pay him. He's he's not going to come back for that match. I love America. <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, that that's the hard part about most wrestlers, and we did the same thing with Macho Man. Is yeah. that the fame does come with a price uh, because it, it's that. hard to balance both a family life and being a top star in a wrestling business. Especially when you're gone so much. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing that is true is that without him, I don't think WWE would have won the uh, Monday Night Wars. Just like you said, there was a, there was a whole domino effect 
Without Stone Cold Steve Austin, I'm not sure the Attitude Era comes to be. And I don't even think wrestling becomes as big. Yeah. Like it, the longevity of wrestling without the Attitude Era and without Stone Cold is is nil. He brought it into the mainstream. Like as soon yeah. as he started getting popular, he was on Regis and Philbin. He was on SNL. He Regis, was on everything. Regis and Philbin. Regis, Regis and Philbin. Regis and Philbin. Regis and, <laughs> and Kathy Philbin. Lee. Sorry, Regis and Kathy Lee. Uh, he was on Celebrity Deathmatch. You know, he was on all these different That's things that stretched out well beyond wrestling. To you know, it was at the point where the only you say WWE, the only thing that anyone says is Hulk Hogan. That's yeah. the only people anybody knew, only person anybody knew yeah. before that that wasn't a wrestling fan. And that's only because he branched out into so many other things that weren't wrestling. Stone Cold didn't do that yet. Yeah. It was just his commanding chemistry uh, with the business and with, you know, mainstream America yeah. that made him a big deal. So I miss Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> that show was awesome. So he does say he is the same guy now, uh, just without all the pressure. That's good. That's the best version of Stone Cold. That's good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, we. What's left to say? I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, you know, where do you go from? I can tell you what I hated about him. Do tell. It's brief. Just three things. Okay. I hated his run as heel Stone Cold. There were a few funny moments with Kurt Angle, but. Uh, it they were was, mostly because of Kurt. It Angle. was mostly because of her. He was the he was the laughs, and Stone Cold became the 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 dry. Yeah, when, when Stone Cold kind of became like the lap dog. Man. Of, yeah, <laughs> that was weird. The invasion storyline where where he uh, turns on the WWF and and joins the WCW team. Why why would he? They fired the WCW fired him. Why would he join that team? And the what chance, which I already mentioned. What chance, worst thing. And I think, I think, and I hope and I pray that they're over. Because I haven't heard them since COVID. Yeah, the the COVID went away. (laughs) Did did the what chance catch COVID? (laughs) I hope so. They didn't make it past coronavirus. That's the only thing I hope the virus killed. And welcome back to the Two Words Podcast Season 3 Finale, where we are talking about none other than the dead man, the phenom, the American bet... Wait. Yeah, careful. This is a family show. (laughs) The Undertaker. The American Uh, Bad Booty. The American Bad Booty, (laughs) which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, uh, Of wrestlers, I think that you could find so influential wrestlers, of people who shaped uh, our generation of wrestling fan, Mm -hmm. it's got to be The Undertaker. There's nobody better. And I feel like uh, the year that he, you know, this earlier this season, um, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and it would just, uh, it would have been an injustice not to dedicate an entire episode. And I'm telling you, we could have dedicated this entire hour mm-hmm. to just talking about The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the question is, what made him that way? I mean, what, what made him such an influential part of, of our wrestling journey? Yeah. Uh, quite a lot of things. Uh, the, the thing that always stuck out to me, especially as I've gotten older and kind of understood... Uh, learned more about the ins and outs of the business. He has had tremendous respect for the business his entire career. 
to the point where it's very clear he has never forgotten where he came from. He has always remained loyal to WWE in the good times and the bad times. Uh, he never jumped ship. He stuck it out even when you know WWE was losing the Monday Night Wars, uh, and even when he became like the big one of the biggest names in the business. He didn't like let that go to his head. He didn't, yeah. you know, become this, you know, uh, arrogant, you know, person. Which, you know, he earned almost earned the right to be. Definitely. But he didn't have that arrogance about him. In fact, he cared about the new guys. And you know, you can kind of tell the person that he was, given the fact that he was the quote unquote judge for the the wrestlers' court. Yeah, you know, back there. Yeah, like everybody trusted him to make the decision. Yeah. Because they knew he would be fair about it. Well, and, and I think you're right. I think he set the bar in ring. Yeah. But he also, you know, from from the stories you hear, he really set the bar for how wrestlers acted mm-hmm. outside of the ring, like backstage when nobody was looking. Like, yep. you know, no, you're going to respect each other. You're going to respect where, you know, you're going to respect these guys who have been doing it. You're going to respect the guys who are doing it you know, in the future, like respect was really his game. And I think that another part, you know, that, that tenacity shaped his character Yeah, because you can very easily see him being like, you know, when he walks into a ring, everybody like immediately has this, this reaction that you can tell isn't just a pop. Yeah. It is, it is not just like cheap heat. Like it is, it is, oh, the Undertaker's music is playing, and I know what happens if I don't respect that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I know who he is. And so it's almost like you can definitely see, like, if he walked into a room backstage, people sit up straighter. Like, people, you know, people act that way. And, you know, it, it's, it's you know, getting more into our, our faith side of things. Um, there's a guy named John Randalls who used to talk about, you know, everybody is either a... Uh, there's two types of people. There's supernovas and black holes mm. and supernovas come in and they light up the room and people notice when they're there and they change what's going on. People change when that dude walks in a room and black holes do the exact opposite. They suck all the energy out and everybody gets really upset. Um, you know, an undertaker really was that supernova. Like he walked in and people, people identified him and changed, um, you know what they did, but then you also look at what he did in the ring, and he was able to keep one character, essentially. Yeah. Um. You know, four or five different versions of that character, but one character for thirty years, which is incredible because, like you said, the versions he was his ability to successfully reinvent himself in all these different versions and still be believe still hold to that overall gimmick that is incredibly difficult to do for any wrestler one time yeah let alone multiple times over 30 plus years uh and it ring true every single time yeah definitely and and, you know we we give um the the motorcycle taker as as we might call him the american bad guy um (laughs) you know but that even still like it fits somehow inside yeah. of that was that was the most different because it cha- you know, they changed his music, 
They changed his uh, music. He did, uh, he more, came, talking, he did more talking. Did more talking. Came out in, on a motorcycle instead of slowly sauntering. Yeah, but even that was a really you know you, now that I'm just like thinking about it really heavily. You know the the original idea for the Undertaker was like this old west Undertaker. Yeah. You know um, the the ominous presence in those old westerns. Um, and so putting that version of Undertaker in the middle, uh, which I know we, we kind of we're going to talk about this, but we'll just talk about it now. Um, you know, putting that right in the middle of the of the of the character helped him transition to kind of a mixture of the two. But he's no longer like that that weird spooky right Undertaker. Now but he still he's just, has that. He still commanded that fear though. Yeah, even yeah. during that run. Now it's just a dude in a black trench coat that I'm very afraid of, <laughs> you know, um, that can somehow make lightning. Right. Strike. That's, that's obviously more like his actual personality. Yeah. Which I think is great that they use that for his final match with AJ Styles. They oh, let yeah. him come back as that version of himself. And it's still in that match. There was still that, that air of, you know, supernatural, supernatural kind of spooky thing. stuff like him popping out of the grave. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. All that, all that, all that neat garbage that they threw in on that weird COVID uh, WrestleMania. Yeah. But uh, they pulled it off so well. That was the best thing about that WrestleMania. 100%. Which, uh, arguably, not a difficult thing to do. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but it was really, really good. It would have been good in any WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was beautiful to see. Also, I'm, I'm surprised because he has been such a stickler with the business and the rules of you know wrestling i'm surprised that he won his last match yeah because that has traditionally been the rule is you lose your last match because you're supposed to be putting someone else over yeah but i think if there was anybody in the company worth breaking that rule for it was the the loyal the loyalist workhorse that the company's ever had oh 100 yeah. and i and i think that Probably Undertaker would have glad, you know. Oh, absolutely. Happily lost that match, but he's also a you know I'm gonna do what I'm told. Yeah. And that's just that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna so if I'm told I'm gonna win this match, then I'm gonna win the match. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> um, and that's that's the crazy thing is like you are so respected. You're respected by Vince. You're respected that much by Vince McMahon, mm -hmm. um, who is not doing anything. That's not going to make money, which is understandable. But you know, if if it's not drawing me money, uh, then it's not it's not working. Right. But you know, I think the exception there there is the exception. Um, he also had an incredible move set uh, for his size oh, as well. Yeah. Uh, the the last ride, the uh, the tombstone. Do you have more of that wall? Uh, Drover. Yeah, I have another one. And um, what, I never remember what the thing where he walks on the rope is called. It's called Old School. Old School. That's all That's it right. is. Which is um, a weird name. Right, which is why I never, because I'm always thinking it's got to be some sort of weird supernatural name. Yeah. Uh, or death name. But anyway, his moveset is is iconic, classic. Uh, he's, a, he's an incredible athlete, which um, is not always very common with the big men. No, like he's 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 I, traditionally, or I mean not traditionally, but he's he's uh, throughout his career been very agile, very fast when he needs to be. 
Um, I remember one of the first wrestling games that I played, video games, um, and the first time I played as The Undertaker, and I accidentally, I don't know what I was, I was button mashing, I think, at the time, um, and I hit a button, and Undertaker does a lariat leg drop. And I'm like, why are you jumping and flipping? Like, you just <laughs> just doing a standing somersault is really what he was doing. But he could do that in real life. Yeah, he absolutely could. Um, He's very resilient. Yeah. Um, and he had a couple rough years. I remember, I remember a few of those streak years where we're just like, yeah, maybe we, maybe we should be done. Maybe we should wrap that up. But uh, even then, after that, he would come back and he'd look amazing. Yeah. Uh, and wrestle amazing. He always was able to convince you that he could do more. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's still not ruled out the possibility of it either. He says that. He has um, recently brought up, well, you know, I don't know. I saw Stone Cold over there, and he looked like he was having a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stone Cold did look like he was having a fun time. He, my gosh, he was a kid in a candy store. Um, <sighs> it was great. Um, and, and honestly, I, I think that, you know, we talk about this character, but legitimately in the ring... Like you knew, you know that that match is really, really good. Oh yeah. So if I was thinking about it, if if I was talking to somebody and they were trying to get me to convince, and I was having to convince them to get into wrestling, and it's like I'll watch four matches or I'll watch five matches. Um, I'll give you uh, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker one and two. Mm-hmm. I'll give you Triple H versus Undertaker one and two at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and I'll give you Edge versus Undertaker. Mm-hmm. And those are five of the greatest matches ever put together yeah. by anybody. And yeah. they were, they were like one right after another. They really were, yeah. Like they there were, was a close. there was legitimate. You know, when we talk <laughs> about those streak years, uh, you know, when he wrestled Roman Reigns, and it really wasn't, really wasn't all that great. And we talk about the streak years when he wrestled, uh, you know, even the Bray Wyatt match. It wasn't super great, which I don't think was his fault. But um, that was that the one with the overhead projections of maggots and junk. No, that was uh, that was Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Oh, okay, which was okay. equally awful. It was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there was legitimately, we, you know, we forget there was a string of like, <clears throat> six or seven years. I mean, it was Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Triple H, and then CM Punk. Yeah, which and, was also a good one. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean. That's one of my favorites. It was one of those, like, you know, <clears throat> you've made, you know that a guy has made it when they're going to give him 30 minutes at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to give him 45 minutes at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um that's that's how you know you've you've garnered some respect. What are some of your favorite uh, taker moments? Uh, so, like we said, you already—I mean, you mentioned my my best ones, which is that four-year stretch of the two HBK and two Triple H matches. Uh, it was really good that second um, HBK match because they put it on last. They learned. They figured it out. They learned that Undertaker, these Undertaker matches need to be the main event. Yeah. Uh, and so they did that. I think they did that for at least one of the Triple H matches, too. Um, Taker winning his first WWE Championship at Survivor Series 91 versus Hulk Hogan, uh, which is one year after arriving to WWE. Uh, I really love the storyline where the Undertaker kidnapped Stone Cold from the hospital <laughs> and attempted to sacrifice him before Kane saved him. There were some weird <laughs> moments there. 
Uh, of course, the Hell in a Cell match with Mankind. Um, I know that's typically thought of as a Mankind highlight, but The Undertaker was pulling off some pretty Nobody else could have done that match with Mick Foley. Absolutely. I mean, he really couldn't have. Um, And you talk, you know, and and I'll go back. I could spend an entire podcast talking about Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, you read in Shawn Michaels' book, like, that first match was so good. Yeah. That first match was so good, that match uh, convinced him to retire. Because he, he tells a story at the beginning of his book, Wrestling with Faith, that... Uh, he went home. At, he went back to his hotel after after the WrestleMania, and he was sitting on the edge of his bed. And his wife was like, "Are you okay?" And he's like, "I that should have been it. That should have just been it. That should have been the last match. I don't want to. I don't want to wrestle again. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't have to wrestle. You when it's so good, it wasn't like I don't want to wrestle. It's like I don't have to. Right. There's nothing else to do. Um." Was it that first match that he, uh, Shawn Michaels came in as basically the anti-Undertaker? Yeah, came from in like the he white, ascended the white from the trench ceiling. coat, yeah. the white cowboy hat. Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. Um, that whole match, man, piece by piece, that was such a <laughs> great piece. And you know, in that match, there's a moment where he does the the uh, the tope suicido. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a tope suicido if you do it over the top rope? I don't know. He did it. He he jumped over the top rope, um, and like he landed on a cameraman, but he oh, almost right. landed on his head. That's right. And there was like Shawn Michaels. You see that like it's really the only botch in the match. Really, you see Shawn Michaels pull the pull the cameraman, and it's like Undertaker was one hundred percent willing to snap his neck in half <laughs> on behalf of this match, but. So few people, I mean, like, you, you, so few people would have any problem getting in the ring with Undertaker because they they knew, they knew they were going on the same way. Um, uh, I don't think, I I can't recall him ever like injuring anybody. Yeah. Or anything of that nature. Like, he's a safe worker. He takes care of the people he's wrestling with. Um, I love, uh, the moment of him popping out of the casket when during his feud with, uh, Randy Orton, mm. after Randy Orton had set the casket on fire, and then like a few months later, he came back. Um, that was really great. I think also one of the one of the greatest moments to a WrestleMania buildup uh, was, was him and Brock Lesnar. <laughs> oh, when was... Brock Lesnar yelled, I'm going to kill you, and The Undertaker could have said anything right there, but he chose to say, you're going to have to. And it's like, ha! <laughs> It was great. Like, I was 10 years old, and I just <laughs> loved it so much. Like, that is a movie scene. That was it. You can't. Yeah. Martin Scorsese couldn't write that. It was a beautiful yeah. feud. Despite the fact he doesn't write films. But still, that, that doesn't matter. That's where they had, uh, like, 100 guys down there trying to separate them. Yeah. When that happened. I mean, that oh. was so. the buildup to that match was so good. It was. Uh, it was fantastic. Um, uh, so do you ever think there's going to be another? I mean, of that magnitude. I'm not even going to say, like, somebody who could come in and strike fear that same way. Right. Because um, I don't think... Because I think anything in the fear realm, uh, it would look kind of kind of like a ripoff. <laughs> it would just be a ripoff. That's what it would be. So, like, we, we look at, like, Stone Cold, The Rock. We look at John Cena, all these, these the bigger names, the bigger celebrity. Yeah. Okay. But when it comes to 
the actual like just the wrestling just the focus and the length of it and the quality of it over time no no first of all wwe doesn't take enough time to develop characters like this anymore we saw that with both incarnations of bray wyatt if anyone was going to be the next taker it probably would have been him but yeah. they wasted the opportunities threw away months of development and fired him despite being one of the most popular characters in recent history for wwe yeah uh and there could also, I mean, so much of, especially the back half of Undertaker's career was defined by the WrestleMania streak. They're not going to be able to pull anything like that off again. Taker built a lot of his mystique around matches that aren't done anymore as well, uh, or at least not done in the same way. You know, Hell in a Cell, Buried Alive matches, Inferno matches. These things just aren't, you know, Hell in a Cell is a glorified cage match these days. Yeah. It's not really... It's not what it was with mankind. Yeah, anytime, anytime somebody now is like, we're going to do it in hell. And it, like uh, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, mm -hmm. the, the Cody, Cody versus Seth 3 is going to be a hell in a cell. And I'm like, okay. It's going to be good, but it, I mean, it's not going to. The, the fact that you're just going to have a, a harder floor around the ring to suplex him on and you're going to toss him into the little chain link thing a couple times. That's yeah. really all the, the, that it adds to it anymore. Yeah. Um, the Buried Alive matches were some of my favorite matches uh, early on. You had those with uh, Mankind, Stone Cold, uh, where you actually throw your opponent in an open grave and bulldoze a whole bunch of dirt on top of them. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you don't do that. You can't do that anymore. No. The Inferno matches, first person to be set on fire loses. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Uh, like all that added to like this big air of like you know, these, these matches were reserved for The Undertaker. The Undertaker wasn't in the matches, they rarely ever happened. Yeah. And that just added this whole new level to his character. So even decades later as he's just wrestling at wrestlemania and they're just straightforward matches you still have that whole back catalog in your mind thinking but i know what this dude's capable yeah. of what kind of crazy junk it's this never <laughs> i just and, yeah i don't think so yeah i don't and think well you know you, you had the streak um and i you know walking into his match with edge which you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. Or with Triple H or with Shawn Michaels or CM Punk. There was always something in the back of your head that was like, well, this story could go a different way. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a, he had a way of being able to tell the story where it's like, yeah, I might lose. I don't know. You know, and not a lot of people could have a 16 match win streak and still convince you like it it's it could be over at any any WrestleMania who knows right like he was the one that that kind of convinced you of that um i don't think that there is any anybody that i don't look at anybody now and think oh he commands respect when he walks into a room yeah like this not yeah uh, not at that level not at, not at that level and it's it's like i don't know how do you where do you even start? <laughs> you know, the fact that he had such a, um, such an air of invincibility with the streak that when Brock Lesnar, who is a massive human being who destroys anybody in his path. Yeah. When he won, nobody could believe it. Yeah. 
Like, <laughs> if anyone's going to beat up an old, frail man, yeah, yeah. it's going to be Brock Lesnar. But still, when that happened, everyone's like, no, this is impossible. That's the phenom. Yeah. How did he do it? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? And that is <clears throat> one of the most heartbreaking but powerful storytelling endings to one of these matches. Yeah. And uh, it was beautiful and painful. And I'm glad they ended that WrestleMania on a big high note. Yeah. Because everyone was really sad after that. Yeah. Match. Yeah. That was definitely not That's supposed the, I, to be. I watched that whole WrestleMania 30 before mm. this year's WrestleMania. I'm like, man, this was a roller coaster of emotions. It was so. <laughs> My emotions. <laughs> well, some, uh, some quick facts Ooh. about The Undertaker uh, that I have. Um, before he got into wrestling, he went to Texas Wesleyan College, Texas Wesleyan University, um, which didn't know he was Methodist. Um, guess you don't have to be Methodist. To... Isn't that the Wesleyans? I thought they were their own thing. Oh, maybe they're maybe they are. Um, I'm not. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. No, uh, no, now we have to know. Oh, no, no, yeah, it's Methodist. Okay, yeah, yeah so Methodist cause, theology. Because John Wesley. Um, oh, dear. I'm a think. I'm a thinking man. Um, went to Wesleyan College on a basketball scholarship, and even went over to Europe and played some G League basketball. Basketball. Yeah, um, that was when big men could play basketball. Like that Harry was Bird. when, yeah, that was the time of like Bill Lambeer and David Aguirre. And it's like you had guys who were legitimately like, you know, 6'11", right. you know, 250 yeah, yeah. pounds. They were just like <laughs> these giant guys that would like punch people in the face. And, or they would um, just stand at the goal on yeah, the other side. Like that was, that was back when you could do that. They could just drop it in. Um, there was a weird time between between then and then. And yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. Real name Mark Calloway. He has wrestled under the name The Undertaker since 1990 with monikers such as The Phenom and The Dead Man. However, that is just the last of 10 names he has gone by in the squared circle. What? Earlier incarnations included Mark Callis, Mean Mark Callis, Mean Mark, Dice Morgan, <laughs> <laughs> Texas Red, Commando, The Punisher, The Master of Pain, and Kane, The Undertaker. That's right. We forget That's that right. Kane was originally the name uh, for The Undertaker, and then uh, around 91, they just kind of dropped it uh, out of nowhere. Um, I also forgot he was a redhead. Yeah, yeah. You kind of forget that <laughs> he was he was a weird-looking redhead, too. Um uh, and uh, Undertaker shot in the WWE came uh, because, do you know what film got The Undertaker his WWE chance? Oh, I feel like I've heard this story, but I don't remember. Suburban Commando. Yeah. Uh, he played uh, the bad guy, um, the, the super strong bad guy whose goal was to destroy the, the immortal Hulk Hogan. Um, and the Hulkster noticed his strength and acting career. And uh, after finding out that he was a professional wrestler, he called up Vince McMahon. I think that sounds more like Hulk Hogan's telling of the story because Hulk Hogan can't stand not being the guy that found the guy, you know? For real, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, you know, those are just some, some fun things. I also think he's a black belt in Brazilian 
jujitsu. Um, which well. he's very big for doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, there's no... He's so big, I don't think there's a weight class for him to fight in. <laughs> if he decided... You know, because everybody talks about, oh, you know, you could have gone into MMA and because he's he's done some MMA stuff. It's like, I don't think there's a weight class for him. <laughs> I really... I don't think there's anybody there. I don't think he'd be allowed, like, by any, yeah. <laughs> by any group of... Of fighters. Welcome back to the Two Words Podcast, where we're doing our season four finale wrestler spotlight. Talking about the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania himself. Um, I I think our our undisputed number one, right? Absolutely. Like both of us, um the goat. Yeah, it, it immediately when like I got into wrestling. I immediately attached myself to Shawn Michaels because, like, this is the guy. Um, you know, he's fun. He's athletic. He's great on the mat. He's from Texas. He checks all of the marks. Um, and he's a Christian. And he's like, he's you know very into his faith and was, uh, you know, pushed his faith out there as a as a human being, um, which is not always something people do when they're in the spotlight. So mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of cool. Um, so I guess the question is like, why is he our all-time number one? It's a lot of good questions, but that's the hardest one. I, I think, I think for <laughs> me personally, like he was a great performer. <clears throat> oh yeah. Um, and but part of that performance was like he could tell stories with the match. Mm-hmm. Like so many times you have you have wrestlers that, you know, tell the story going into the match. The match is part of the story. And then like they keep telling the story after the match or the story's ended right. by the match. But like with Shawn Michaels, I mean, you know, and, and we'll get into these matches here in a little bit. But, you know, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels Undertaker matches like the matches themselves were the story absolutely the moments in those matches were the story and that Um, second one it was a perfect retirement match perfect perfect and schlag yeah the the stay down thing from undertaker yeah Uh, stay down yeah him refusing to Um, beautiful beautiful stuff you know the the rick flair match yeah um you know so so much I'm sorry. I love you. Yeah, Sweet like chain music. How do you tell? Like Man. you tell a story with your like with your movements and with the way you react, and and I think that's um, really the biggest part of it. Because honestly, like yeah. he was he was good on the mic. Is all right. Yeah, he was definitely not great on the mic. Um. So here's my list of why. Uh, these are all just little parts of the reason why. It's uh, it's my number one. First wrestler of my generation to overcome Vince McMahon's distaste for having small guys win the title, the big title. Yeah. He did not like that. He did not like having small guys win it. We saw that played out as a storyline with uh, Daniel Bryan. Uh, He was one of the very few still Grand Slam champions, having won all the titles. Uh, He is the king of long-form matches. He won two back-to-back Royal Rumbles. He's put in an amazing Iron Man matches, Ric Flair's farewell match, the first one, anyway. Two show-stopping matches with The Undertaker at WrestleMania rank as uh, some of the greatest matches of all time. All very long matches, and none of them got slow. None of them got boring. You You would never hear a chant. 
in a Shawn Michaels match. Yeah. Like, this is boring. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. <sighs> um, he built DX, one of the greatest stables of all time. Twice. 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 Sweet. That needs to be noticed. Like, he did that twice. Um, and he, like, <clears throat> and that's part of kind of something that I was thinking is, like, he just keeps reinventing himself in, like, a positive way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sweet chin music. One of the best looking finishers ever. And you need to have one that looks devastating as a small guy yeah. like that when it's not going to be like a submission hold or something. I believe every Sweet Chin music I see. Oh, yeah. It looks so It good. makes that sound. No one can do it like him, too. It's so perfect. <sighs> that sound is a perfect sound. And there's that, that's part, you know, like, because there's lots of guys that do super kicks. Yes. Like, everybody has a super kick. But there's always that one guy who does that one move really, really well. Like, you know, Goldberg's spear. Yeah. Nobody does a spear like Goldberg. That's why they had to give Roman Reigns that Superman punch. Yeah. Because the um, spear wasn't selling. Y you know, <laughs> uh, you know, nobody does uh, the RKO, but before it had a bunch of different names. Like, nobody does the RKO like Randy Orton. Right. Nobody does sweet chin music like Shawn Michaels. Absolutely. Uh, but most of all, I think I... I Really admire him for his transition as a person, like a real person. Yeah. Because he really was the vain, egotistical jerk uh, of a person before he first retired in 98, when he thought that he was done because of his injuries. Uh, and he was a drug addict and alcoholic, all this junk. And he really did come to Christ and turn his whole life around. Yeah. And the Shawn Michaels that showed up in 2002... <coughs> Pardon me, was so different and so almost inspiring coming in like a friggin' white knight. Yeah. Ready to take down Triple H. Like, whew, loved it. It was, I was, I, I didn't expect it. This was long before internet rumors and all this that I was involved yeah. in. Just watching that happen live and seeing Sean freaking Michaels come out in a saved one T-shirt from Caruso. Yeah. Just like, what is happening? And I love it all. He literally went to the Lifeway <laughs> store before going or showing up at SummerSlam. Showed up in SummerSlam as with his Phil 413 on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wouldn't it have been so great to just see like Sean Michaels come in all of the awful Caruso shirts? <laughs> Catch up with Jesus. Catch up with Jesus. <laughs> the Lord's gym. Yeah, I mean, like, they were, oh, my gosh. I relish in Jesus' saving power, whatever. Like, I just, they were, it would have been so great if you just kept showing up mm -hmm. um, in that sort of stuff. Um, Jesus so, instead of Reese's. Yeah, yeah, that was the big one. Gosh, that was so bad. <laughs> Christians, why did we do this to ourselves? Um, there was a Mountain Dew one too, wasn't there? Meant to die. Meant to die. Yeah. They didn't even make sense. Yeah, at one. some point, it was just it was <laughs> just, just a word a, over a, a logo. We need a word with an M and a word with a W. No, I mean a word with a D. A D. Sorry, an M and a D. That's what we need. Let's find it out. Die. Let's figure it out. All right. So, and it's almost an impossible task. Yeah. But, like, what are just some of the outrageously great matches that Shawn Michaels has. Cause you could almost say all of them, but okay. 
So we're doing matches? Yeah, we'll, we'll go, we'll go with the matches. Some, I got some moments, too. Okay. <laughs> uh, but let's say the ladder match with Razor Ramon. Like, it wasn't the first ladder match, but it might as well have been. Yeah. Because that's the one everyone remembers. Yeah. Fantastic ladder match. Oh, that whole thing was put together. You can sprinkle in your moments in here as well. Okay, I will. If you'd like. I'll sprinkle them. Um, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett at In Your House 2. Um, they did a match in 95 that, that people that don't really talk about a lot. But it was, I yeah. watched a little bit of it coming before I came here. And it was like, both of those guys really did. It goes back to that whole telling a story and being able to really use your character as part of the match. Yeah, I rented that pay-per-view on VHS oh, in dope. eighth grade. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's um, fantastic. The uh, His Elimination Chamber match in his gross brown pants where he won the WWE title. Oh, man. <laughs> Those pants. He had the, the brown pants and he had like the weird head, the bob haircut. Yeah. Like it was like shoulder length. Yeah. Well, because he had just come back like two, like a year earlier, right? Not even that long. Yeah. Like it was that year, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Triple H at SummerSlam, the, I think the year before. Uh, yeah. That was yeah, the uh, that that was, was the unsanctioned street match, street yeah, fight. That was the one he came that back in the, one, the Cruiser yeah. shirt. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and kudos to those two guys for being able to like tell this small part of their story and make that part of like they were best friends and then Shawn Michaels left and then they were huge enemies. I mean, they were yeah. rivals. Yeah. And then they were best friends again. And they worked all all the different ways. Like it worked seamlessly, so well. yeah. seamlessly. That elimination <sighs> chamber, that elimination chamber match in two thousand three, though, that was like that whole match, start to finish, was yeah, was nuts. Because you it, like you forget like that was uh, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Jericho, uh, Goldberg, Kevin Nash, and I think there was one more guy. It was. It was. There was one more, but I it, don't was it was insanity. It was a big match. Yeah, it was insanity. Um, uh, the uh, the I love you, I know moment. Absolutely. Um, if you don't ball like a baby, or no, that you're, you you said I love you, I know that's Star Wars. You meant I'm sorry, I love. I'm you. sorry, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, you're just all, up in your nerd grade. Just that's up all. in the nerd grade. Uh, <laughs> the the I'm sorry, I love you thing. Like if you just don't ball, ball like, like a baby, baby man. like even if you don't like Ric Flair, man, he was no, balling like a baby. Knowing that that Ric Flair has been a garbage human being for a while, like you still <laughs> go. Ah. He was still the inspiration for a lot of wrestlers. How does Shawn Michaels beat up a 60 year old man, and we somehow feel sympathy <laughs> for Shawn Michaels? <laughs> That's that's why he's the best. That's why he's number one. Um, I got HBK versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. I think a people, clinic. I think people forget like how good of a rivalry Kurt Angle and HBK had. Yeah, they worked. Their chemistry was seamless as well. Like in a way, probably not seen until the Taker matches. Like yeah. they were real good. You forget how <clears throat> how good of a like and i know that it's dumb to say this but like i think you do forget how good of a wrestler and performer uh kurt angle was only because he was also such a big personality yeah like he had such a range of the comedy and the heel stuff yeah like that's what you remember from him most you don't really remember the matches even though the matches were fantastic yeah. matches too <sighs> um the uh <laughs> the match that he had with Hogan at SummerSlam 2005. I have that on my mouth on that list. It's so good. It's your what? 
I have that on my list. On your list, yeah. Where he was, the way it was set up is it was going to be a set of three matches uh, between Hogan and HBK with uh, HBK winning one, Hogan winning one, Hogan winning the last one. That's how it was set up. But Hogan kind of last minute is like, you know what? I don't want to lose any of these matches. And Vince was like, okay. <laughs> and sure. H- so HBK heard that. He probably gonna, did that. Probably did the whole, <laughs> well, that's not going to work for me, brother. He was going to lose Hogan uh, for three times uh, and heard that he was going to lose on the match he was supposed to win. And so he just went out there and flopped like a flipping rag doll. Every hit sent him just every limb in every direction. He yeah. bounced. He did cartwheels. He flopped on the ground like a fish. Yeah. Like it was the the pettiest way to handle it, but it was so entertaining. <clears throat> watching, going back and watching just Hogan's yeah. face through the whole thing where he's both baffled and enraged the entire match. <laughs> but that's the other thing is the the probably the best part to me about that whole match is when he gets interviewed, when Hogan gets interviewed uh-huh. about the HBK overselling, he goes, I didn't think he was overselling at all. It's just how you <laughs> wrestle, isn't it? Like to Hogan, that's, just, that's what my moves do to Hogan. Shawn Michaels was doing the best job of anybody at selling for him. <laughs> and he doesn't understand why people think it's all fa- like, I just, I oh, gosh. love that. Um, and then we then we have both of the taker matches. Like we yeah, don't even have yeah, to yeah. talk about those, but like yeah, well I have two moments for those two. Okay, yeah, I I, I think that when you have such a good match that one of the one of the guys leaves and goes, I should have just I should just stop wrestling. <laughs> like as as an artist as yeah. as somebody who has performed as somebody who does you know who, who stages for a living like i go like i'm never content with anything that i ever do completely right and so like the idea that i would be done with something and go oh i should just stop that was good that was nice that could this have is been, my swan song that could have been the fly. final match for both of them yeah and everybody would have been happy yeah because it was so good Easily. and it probably should have been the last one for undertaker <sighs> but anyway the two mo- moments that i have from the first one from wrestlemania 25 was hbk coming down from the sky as like the anti-taker and a white cloak white cowboy hat just like the holy version of The Undertaker. Yeah. That was the dopest HBK entrance of all time, in my opinion. But the second one was actually, like, the second one, if you remember the storyline buildup, was that HBK wanted to prove himself. He said, I should not have lost that match at WrestleMania 25. I need another chance. And yeah. Undertaker was like, nope, you get one. And so it became, like, it was like a like a four-month storyline. Yeah. HBK doing everything he can to convince or earn his way into this match. He convinced the world that he could win the Royal Rumble and challenge this, <laughs> challenge the Undertaker for his championship of just holding the streak. Yeah. <clears throat> but we all bought it, and then he lost, and you just saw, like, his heartbreak as he got kicked over the ropes Yeah, at, at Royal Rumble, thinking that was his last chance. Like, the, the chase was just a beautiful final yeah. storyline for him. And this is, this might be one of the weirder things I've ever said, but his pants in that match were outstanding. <laughs> that is the best looking getup ever. 
from any wrestler <laughs> ever. It was the white chaps with the gold, yeah, yeah. with the gold tribal on it, and it looks dope. It was sick. Uh, and my last moment, and then I'll let you finish it up, yeah. is of course the very first moment for HBK, uh, the true HBK, was when he kicked his rock rockers partner Marty Jannetty yeah. right through the glass with the super kick or the sweet chin music. And that was just like that set him on a rocket ship and yeah. to the moon. Yeah, and and just <clears throat> this this idea that like he did all this stuff where he was like the skeevy guy, and he was you know with with uh, with sensational Sherry, and then yeah. he was uh, he was with Kevin Nash as like his bodyguard, and um, you know, but then he also like get in the match, and then like it was like the opposite of what the Miz does, right? Because like right. the Miz will like be the skeevy <clears throat> one, and then trash the match right somehow but like hbk would be the skeevy one and then do great in the match and it was it was amazing so do you think there would ever be another hbk caliber talent (sighs) so like through through the entire time i've been watching there have been setting up people as you know they've been calling him this is the next hbk yeah and the four names that i have that i remember getting this moniker are chris jericho Dolph Ziggler, Brian Danielson, and Seth Rollins. That is a formidable group of people. But Chris Jericho has become his own thing, his yeah. own legend for sure. Dolph Ziggler kind of gone the opposite direction. I think they could have built him up into the new Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah. I think they almost did, but then they pulled it back, and now he's just kind of he's the workhorse guy in the back. Talent-wise, Dolph Ziggler <clears throat> is the most talented person on that list. Definitely could do it, too. But, yeah, he's... He's not going to be. No. Brian Danielson uh, also, I think, has just become his own dude. Like, his own amazing story. That whole thing that they put together for WrestleMania 30. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that's... I think I think it would be a disservice at that point to call him the new Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Because I think he made his own name at that point. Yeah. I also think he <clears throat> the way he wrestles because of his injuries, I, I don't think we right. can call it that anymore. Right, right, right. So Seth Rollins being the last name for me on the list here, I really think he's kind of becoming the new Triple H, not the new, not the new HBK. Could be in a little ways. I mean, yeah. he's a little more skeevy than Triple H was because Triple H is just kind of a more imposing figure. Yeah, <clears throat> but like he's 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 turning into a. Well, I say that. I was about to say he's turning into the evil heel, not the cocky heel. But I kind of take that back because he has been more in the cocky yeah. role the last few months. And now he's kind of like in a face place. Um, I think I think he's finding his own path. Yeah. I just I don't know if there's enough time to build him into like an HBK level caliber wrestler yeah i don't think that's the direction they're going with that yeah um we also didn't talk about Shawn michaels and chris jericho that match at wrestlemania 17 that was a really good match there's too many there's too many good matches um well what about i want to hear from you you have i mean you think there's you know there's ever gonna be one i don't think because (laughs) i think that like you know comparison is is so difficult and immediately when you say this person is the next blank. Mm-hmm. You're like, he's not right. Like it just, auto, saying, it almost is like, like it's we were like saying that with Bray Wyatt, the fiend, like he's yeah. going to be the new, he's the new undertaker. And 
Yeah, it's almost like it's not gonna happen. observing. Some, it's almost like that that I, that law that when something is observed, it changes. Mm. Uh, it changes the results. Like I think that's when when you go like, oh, he's the next, you know, uh, HBK. It's like, no, he's not going to be the next HBK. I, I think Dolph Ziggler really had a shot. Yeah, and I think had Dolph Ziggler been able to been allowed to do more. Um, but now at this point, I think he's just too fed up <coughs> to want to do, yeah. you know, any of that. Um, I would also suggest that the closest right now is Kenny Omega. But I think Kenny Omega is more of a Jericho than anything else. <coughs> I would kind of agree with that, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, closest right now would definitely be I would, would agree definitely with that be as Omega. A, yeah, as a statement, I would agree with that. Um... Especially like the heel work, yeah. Like heel heel HBK, like his his heel run that yep. he had when he had the championship here this last run with the the guy from Impact being his manager and yeah. all that. Yeah, that does actually really remind me of HBK style back then. I like yeah, that. and he wrestles very similarly. <clears throat> yes, you know yeah. he can do the athletic same, stuff, but he doesn't do the high type. flying stuff. Right, but same kind of body type. Yeah, same kind of feel to it. Yeah. Good. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. That's why I'm the host. <laughs> That's why I'm getting paid absolutely nothing to do this. I'm, host, I'm your boss. So sure. Chill out right there. Bubba's my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and then behind him is Hillary. So I have firing powers. Let's you, put it yeah, that well, whatever. You can't uh, your show like that. It's going to be two words with Matt and Matt. Two words, one host. <laughs> the Matt Show. Uh, two words, Radio Matt. And that's the sh- every week. It's just Radio Matt. Good, first episode is Goodbye, John. Should we do a whole storyline where I kick you out? Well, <laughs> now you, we can't. And you, you release a, uh, a go rogue. pirate radio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Dose words with John Berkey. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I would I would come up with a with a with a new uh, with a with a whole new ministry, right, whole like, new organization, uh, like thy dork or something, you know. <laughs> so yeah, no, it'd be a rogue, yeah. And then we just infiltrate, and so like and I have somebody. Slam, we go against each yeah, other. Yeah, and then at some point, you know, like. Uh, you know, one one of my members invades. You know, we do an invasion storyline on you know church nerds. <laughs> like, I get you know who Chris, I am. Chris Gwaltney comes back all of a sudden. Why I'm here? That's that's my that's Chris my Gwaltney. thing. Chris Gwaltney's coming back, and we're gonna take the company back over together. Oh. <laughs> uh, Stay tuned for season this five. This is the best. Season five is going to be off the chain, <laughs> y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to the Two Words Podcast season five. Five time. Five time. Five time. Season finale. <laughs> where we are talking about the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, the probable himself, The Rock. And I, can I don't. Spell it. I mean, yeah, you just name a guy who is more transcendent, even when he was wrestling. Like everybody knew who The Rock was. They're yeah. like, 
you know, even even us sheltered kids who didn't watch wrestling growing, like everybody knows who The Rock was. Everybody knew The Rock. Um, so, so I guess the question is, what made him so great? <sighs> There's so much, man. So, first of all, uh, I know the title Captain Charisma goes to Christian, but yep, I really feel like. The Rock is the king of charisma. Like yeah. He, he, as a heel, was one who could really back up the talk that he had. But it took a lot of build up for him to like lose. And so that brought about some fantastic matches, but mainly the promos, everything leading up to it. Like, a lot of times we, we have these matches, these big matches that are coming up, and they're a month away. And we're yeah. just like, we just got to get there. I love the fact that it took weeks to get to a big rock match because there was weeks of bits with him just cutting the most vicious, yeah. entertaining promos. <laughs> um, it, was, it was actual story, too. Like, yeah. it was just, you know. And uh, he had, with that, he was he had a, a pretty unique ability to have charisma with pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny that y- you had Jet Chat B- GPT write a promo on Omos. Almost. Omos. Gosh darn it. Omos. Because I feel like if anybody could have a chemistry, (laughs) uh, you know, promo thing with Omos, it would only be The Rock. Yeah. Nobody else is going to be able to pull anything out for Omos. Whether it was opponents or partners. Like, he he sounded great with Stone Cold, Triple H, Kurt Angle, Mankind, Undertaker, Vince, uh, even Undercard. You know, Chris Jericho shows up. In the middle of a rock promo, fantastic back and forth there. Uh, Hurricane Helms had a you know a promo off with the Rock at one point. Oh yeah, fantastic! Like everything, every interaction that he had was elevated to a, a status of mm-hmm. best best bit of the night. Yeah, and that's something that I can't I can't pull anybody else's name out that can do that yeah. every time. Well, and it was coming into it. He was really part of that transition because if you, I mean, and, and you know, everybody's going to go, oh, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. Like, no, people in the 80s could not cut promos. They were, they were dumb promos when they there were. There's a reason why there's a <laughs> handful that are viral now. Very few. Because those were the really good ones. Yeah. Made out from decades of them wrestling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, in, in you come to the late 90s and the early 2000s, that's when, like, the ability to cut a promo really started taking off. Yeah. Um, and I think that he was just the pioneer of that whole thing. You know, you you couldn't find anybody that could do it better. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, you, you have somebody that can have charisma and chemistry with anybody and he rode the line uh between being intimidating and over the top ridiculous in a way that i don't oh, think oh, most people oh, yeah like the words that he was saying are ridiculous and hilarious but the way he was saying them were like i'm glad he's not talking to me yeah <laughs> and uh his catchphrases of course catchphrase game top tier like yeah. he pulled so many out that just became instant classes, classes, classes. I was thinking boots to <laughs> boots to classes, boots to classes, instant classics. Um, just bring it, of course, being a later one. But if you smell what the rock is cooking, do you smell what the rock is cooking? Um, 
finally the rock is back in whatever you know all these bangers that anytime yeah. he he shows up and pulls them out today everybody loses their ever loving mind and will for all time one of my favorite lines um and i think i've talked about it on this podcast before but uh he was gonna have a match with goldberg in like 2005 i think um and i think it was at a backlash and he was doing a promo at the very like right before that went out and and the whoever was doing all the backstage interviews was like well you've done just about everything and the rock goes no 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 the rock hasn't done just about everything the rock has done everything there's nothing the rock hasn't done in fact there's one thing that the rock hasn't done and that's make a white baby <laughs> and then he just stared at this small scared white woman like and kind of like gave her the eyebrows. <laughs> That's kind of the other thing. 90s rock is not something you could do. Today. Oh, yeah. No, thousand percent. <laughs> his character is, is a bit over the top, at least when it came to his interaction with the ladies. Yeah. Um, Which is so interesting because we give John Cena so much crap for going from the Doctor of Thugonomics to the very like child-friendly PG thing. Mm-hmm. We don't do that to The pedals. Rock. We don't do that to The Rock. Yeah. Granted, The Rock didn't do that while in wrestling. Right, like, I think that's the only reason. Could be that would make that would make sense to me. Is that his persona would change when he gets out of wrestling and goes and does movies like Tooth Fairy? Yeah, and so I think that, that <laughs> you know, because because you know, the other questions we we were asking is why is The Rock so important? And I think that's one of the big things. It was the guy who who could come in and and really create chemistry. He was the standard. Um, He created all of these wonderful storylines and inspired all of these, these fantastic wrestlers and these fantastic moments. Um, And and you just don't have a whole lot of this stuff. I mean, he's, you know, he saved a lot of careers, Mm -hmm. you know, just, (sighs) he also broke the, uh, the mold for Samoan wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, up until him, even including him when he first started as the blue chipper, uh, you know, Rocky Maivia, you know, they had been very culture yeah. um, related gimmicks that were brought up, very Samoan culture related gimmicks, which we have a little bit now with the bloodline, but even that, it's just like a taste of it. It's yeah. just like a, f- a flavor of this, you know, these characters. It's not the whole thing. Um, for him to switch from that as the Attitude Era rolled in to the cocky um, leader or the cocky underling of the nation who basically caused a coup and overthrew Farouk yeah. and became you know the people's champion kind of character that we all knew, that was a big change for um, not only Samoan wrestlers, but really wrestlers in general. When it came to how you're gonna, you're gonna be a heel, but you're gonna be it in a way that everybody's laughing and so they love it. Yeah, like that's not been. If people were laughing at you when you were a heel before the Attitude Era, it's because you were a stupid heel. Yeah, not because you were, you like, were doing the clown charismatic. Yeah, <laughs> any of the people that were in that promo uh, against Hulk Hogan. Where he was like the dungeon of whatever. The dungeon. Where am I? Where am I, brother? (laughs) Um, Uh, The dungeon of doom was so tragic. (laughs) Uh, And so we got to see him have those those back and forths with Stone Cold. I loved the the instance. I think this was still like Intercontinental Championship 
time where they were mm-hmm. technically in the mid card where they each took a different turn at a different point of the year of tossing each other's title belt in the river at whatever <laughs> town that they're in. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like this was this was some some real good chemistry early on before they both became, you know, the main eventers. Um and then the so we had like the people's champion, the corporate champion when he joined yeah. uh, Vince and Shane and all that and then when he got betrayed, it was like the Rock and Sock connection, him and Mankind. So we got to see him like as the serious bad guy. This and is then your as, life. like the goofiest like sidekick almost. To It was like they were both sidekicks to each other in a different way. But he made it work. <clears throat> it was so good. It showed such big, such a, such a big range for him. Yeah. Which, I mean, of course, makes sense now that he's, you know, Captain Hollywood. Yeah. But uh, like this, it was he, he the phrase... Uh, He's built different, like certainly applies to him in all aspects, not just physical, but yeah, just that the freaking charisma, man. I can't get over it. You know, because you saw the same thing with like gold dust. It's like you take this gimmick that is just absolute trash. You get some because because it seems like every once in a while these guys will get something that is meant to ruin their career. And people like Goldust, people like The Rock, they took it and they made their career off of this sort of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, The Rock and Sock Connection, that's timeless, man. Mm-hmm. Like, Here Is Your Life is a timeless bit. Um, so, I really have to ask this. What's, what's the best movie that The Rock's ever done? <laughs> We're going to do best first? Or we we'll do best first. Last? We'll do right. best first. <clears throat> I don't know what the best one is because they're all, they've all got pros and cons. I don't think there's any movie that he's done that's like, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I do like the Jumanjis. Jumanjis are good. Uh, I really like Get Smart, but he's not really the main character in Get Smart. But honestly, my favorite one is probably not a very popular one, but it's Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart. Central Intelligence was it was a silly, silly movie, but he did really good in it. My, <laughs> I yeah. laugh all the time. Yeah, I, I might watch that tonight. Now that I'm yeah, <laughs> there were two movies that he did kind of right there with each other, and it was Walking Tall. Yes, underrated, which is a fantastic film. It's got a 23 on Rotten Tomatoes. That is... But it is outrageous. Such a good movie. That is movie. outrageous. And then there was another one he did. Rundown. Right at, the Rundown. Rundown yes. with um, Scott. Scott. What's his name? S- Scott. We both got Scott. <laughs> I think that's I think last Scott's name. his last name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know who we're talking about. You know about. the guy. You know the him. Guy. The guy from... He um, was in the, wasn't he in the... I think he was... Wasn't it Stifler? Yeah. Wasn't he in the yeah. American Pie movies? <laughs> Or something. Something, Scott. I don't know. Anyway, yes. Anyway, yes. They were both great. Those were both great movies. Granted, they had like... They're not cinematic masterpieces. No, they they weren't meant to be. popcorn movies. Especially after you had something (laughs) like, um, you know, his appearance in The Scorpion King. Or The Mummy Returns and then The Scorpion King. That CGI nonsense in that Mummy movie. looked terrible. He might as well not even be in that film. It It ruined it. They might as well not even have been like oh it's the rock because it's not right it, it took me out of that movie in a hurry i'm like well this is which is dumb. unfortunate because it's the last 10 minutes of the film right like, right you, you gotta you know, the movies it. were great 
um, up until that point. So let's go with aside from the Mummy Returns. <laughs> I don't even have that on the list. What is the worst? <laughs> what is the worst rock film? I'll go first. I hated the Rundown. That movie's dumb. The Rundown. I don't think I've not seen the run, that. Not the Rundown. The Game Plan. The Game Plan. Okay. Yes. Game Plan was bad. Game Plan was awful. Game Plan was bad. Doom was pretty bad. Baywatch was pretty bad. Tooth Fairy was pretty bad. Doom was so. I forgot. <laughs> Doom was so bad. G.I. Joe Retaliation was pretty bad. All of his big budget apocalypse-esque movies. Uh, Skyscraper, San Andreas, Andreas, Rampage. I didn't even watch Skyscraper. (laughs) You shouldn't have. So just don't. I didn't. I won't. I just can't. I just can't do it. People don't like Red Notice. Have you seen Red Notice? I liked Red Notice. I love that. I want to see more movies with uh, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, I didn't hate black Adam as much as everybody else did. I forgot to put that on here. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie. It's not the best DC film. Yeah. Um, it's not, it didn't, it was decent. It didn't deliver. The problem was all the hype. Which yeah. was like 14 years of hype yeah. that The Rock has been doing. Significant amount. It's the since, fact that... Since had, Shazam. Right. It's the fact that we've had... No, it was before that. He was working on this long before Snyder Cut, oh, long really? before Green Lantern, or about the same time as Green Lantern, I guess. I didn't but know like, that. He, he's, been, he's been campaigning to do this movie for over a, or about a decade. Wow. And he's been building that up, and he's not been quiet about it. He's been... Every now and then he'd be popping links and we're talking about, hey, we're talking Black Adam, talking Black Adam. You know, this is back when Man of Seal's coming out and everything. And all that buildup and all that time to get this. Yeah. It's like, we could have done better. And you should have been able to do better. That being with, said, if you go in without expectations, yeah, that's a good movie. Here's my problem, is I can't watch a movie <laughs> that has Pierce Brosnan and Aldous Hodge and have low expectations. <laughs> That's a good like, point. <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. They're I, two of I them. liked Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. He was a great Dr. I, Fate. I really I want to see more of that. Um, I liked Aldous Hodge as, as uh, Hawkman. Yeah, I think he did a good job. Hawkman is, I, has been cast so many times in the last few yeah uh, years. I and I didn't dislike black. I didn't dislike The Rock's Black Adam. I thought he was a fine no. Black Adam. It was just like it was just like you're just not delivering. Right. This was supposed to be the 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 hierarchy of the DC universe is shifting. It's like no. And the the other thing that I think was dumb about this whole thing was his complete aversion to Shazam. He did not want Shazam to be in the movie. He did not want any connection to the Shazam. He had no interest in eventually sharing the screen with Shazam in a sequel. He wanted it to be uh, Black Adam versus Superman, just which, is a, which is a thing in the comics, sure. Yeah. But long after we've already established him being a part of the, like the Marvel, the Shazam family. Yeah, and 
to like it should literally wear the same uniform yeah it shouldn't you say the same word you got the powers from the same guy like there's there's (laughs) there's there should have been a cameo of zachary levi and it could have been hilarious there should be a there should be a cameo of zachary levi in most films i would i would love zachary levi to show up everywhere for no reason whatsoever all over the place um (laughs) it kind of you know then you get like the tooth fairy you know (laughs) <laughs> why we get why you agreed to do that film and i understand like you know you take work when you can get I, I work mean, look at hulk hogan's movies man i mean stupid is all that right well let's 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 focus on some positive let's focus on some positive as we close out who do you think <sighs> was the best rivalry for the rock and i can only i can almost assume we have the same guy maybe i feel like it has to be stone cold right okay then we don't have we the don't guy. no because i the this the rock and stone cold here's my 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 pitch here for why it okay. would be the best one the rock and stone cold were two wrestling gods existing in one universe yeah. Like the the like, it's hard to say, you know. Hulk Hogan's time, top tier was Hulk Hogan. John Cena's yeah. time, top tier was John Cena. Mm-hmm. Most people, including The Rock, will say during the Attitude, Stone Cold was the top tier. But it is hard for people to be convinced of that standing next to The Rock. Yeah, those two were the 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 twin like pillars that yeah. held up the Attitude Era, and they were very different characters. He was the the brawler, fighter, anti-hero. He was the cocky son of a gun. And they were both so good, not just on promos and you know, build up, but the matches themselves, the the wrestling was so good. Mm-hmm. Like they had the greatest trilogy of WrestleMania matches I think I've ever seen. Solid. No, very solid. And... <sighs> There was a brief period of time, I think, they were on the same side. Uh, like, the, they were yeah. both bases at the same time at one point. I think it was yeah. around the union uh, corp versus corporate ministry yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but for the most part, they've always been opposites against each other and keep crossing paths throughout the years. Um, I just, that was always my favorite. Yeah. No, and, that, and that's good. That's good. That's good. To me, um, the best rivalry that The Rock had was The Rock and Triple H. I will give that to you. And, and I say that one. because you had these two guys who just absolutely hated each other, and they could not have been more polar opposites in who they were. Yeah. Um, they had this great, you know, you look at all this collection of matches that they had, and they're all phenomenal. But then you add in The Nation versus DX. Yeah. And you had two guys who then made eight people relevant and you could have matches you could pick out one from this side and one from this side at complete random including the woman and (laughs) you had an entertaining match that people cared about you're right i mean you you made made that might be the truest thing you ever said because i'm thinking about when i was watching i'm like yeah uh, Road Dog versus Farouk. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Henry versus China. I'm here because <laughs> it counted yep. as Rock versus. Uh, yeah. I mean, versus it really was. Triple H. It really um, did. You yeah. know, uh, Bill, 
you know, Billy Gunn and the Godfather. Like, <laughs> you you took the guy. I think that was probably the best <clears throat> version of the Godfather. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I understand we have you know his locomotive of sultry women and that sort of thing, but that was like a joke. That was the that was really the only times he wasn't doing a joke gimmick. Yeah, to me. Yeah, because Godfather um, was a joke gimmick. But even like even when and <laughs> I mean. I mean, I don't even know if it's still on the internet, but when all of DX showed up in blackface. (laughs) (laughs) The Roxas! The Roxas! (laughs) The Rock went and took a big dump. When you should have smelled what The Rock was cooking. But then you had, um, you had, uh, X-Pac, X-Pac, just completely black with a bunch of pillows stuffed in his shirt. Well, I don't know what I smell. Smells like crap. Oh, man. I mean, come on. And, uh, it was Road Dog as D-Lo Brown, right? He's I think so, yeah. That's what the man said. That's what the man said. Flung my headphones off. Oh the my D-Lo goodness! Head. Oh my goodness! Ooh, um, that was yeah, such I a love that. Not terrible, terrible, terrible idea. It's terrible it now. Was pre, yeah, but it was pre, you know, sensitivity on that. Yeah, uh, like we have now. But it was a really funny bit. It wasn't done to mock like black people yeah. in general. It was just to mock these specific people. Yeah. <laughs> All of the stuff that they did was mocking their own personalities. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. <laughs> oh. But, and then they had yeah. that one kid that came out as Owen Hart with a giant nose. <laughs> I mean, it's like about Owen Hart being in the nation, noses. man. That was weird. Um, you know, in, in then you look at all of the marquee matches that The Rock has had, and these, like, past the torch moments. Yeah. Um, you know, you had, you had the rock and Hollywood Hogan, Dude, like such a good match. That was really the last, like great thing that Hogan did. Yeah. And then you had the, you know, the, 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 the match of a lifetime once in a lifetime, <laughs> the once twice, once in a lifetime revisited. And, but here's the thing is like, both of those were good. matches. Both of them were good matches and they have both had great buildup and like, I feel like The Rock is one of the only guys that could be like, we're doing once in a lifetime two years in a row. I think The Rock is one of the only guys that can say, hey, it's the night after WrestleMania. I'm challenging you to a match next WrestleMania. Yeah. And keep everybody excited for it the whole year. We did it. We did it. (laughs) He did it. Omos comes out and say, hey, in a year, you and me. I've forgotten about it before the show was over. Yeah, no, it's good. That would be that would be terrible. Well, let us know about your favorite rock moment or your favorite rock rivalry. If we missed something, um, let us know. Go over to their socials at Two Words LTN. Um, we made it f- an entire season five. I didn't mess that up once. You did it. I think you're right. I it's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Thank you again for reliving these memories from the Two Words Podcast with me today. And like I said, we will be back with brand new shows in two weeks. Gosh darn it, no matter what happens, we're going to make it happen. I don't care if we have to record in the middle of the night on a Sunday. We're going to get it done. We're going to get a show out. It's too close to WrestleMania to be skipping more shows. WrestleMania is almost here. It's going to be so good. I'm so excited for it. I hope you're excited for it. Hit us up at Two Words LTN. 
on all the socials. John's typically the one running the Facebook. I'm typically the one running the Twitter. So, you know, give us a shout. Let us know what you're excited about for WrestleMania. Let us know what you'd like us to cover. You know, we usually go into like deep dives or lists or nostalgia. If you want us to do something like that, that we haven't done already, you know, help us out. Give us that idea. Uh, and if there's a bunch of shows you haven't seen yet, because we're, we're at over 50 now, head on over to Spotify or YouTube, uh, at, you know, the Love Thy Nerd YouTube channel, or any of your favorite podcast apps, and find an old show that you love. While the news and the rumors might not be up to date, typically the last segment of the show, the longest segment, the meat segment of the show, is uh, something that's pretty timeless. So go back, find some fun stuff. But that's going to do it for this show, and uh, see you again in two weeks. And if you're not down with that, well, i got two words for you. Goodbye. So